Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. And I'm really praying that this morning, God would pierce our hearts in a special way, that He would synchronize us with a divine purpose that we would understand the assignment in our generation to fulfill, to advance the kingdom of God in our day. You see, Revelation chapter 12 would say it this way. They overcame him in referencing the enemy. By the word of their testimony, right? The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, they overcame him, meaning by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony that God actually did something unique and powerful in a people that recognized that they had been transferred, as Paul says, from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, that there had been a transference where at one point, as Paul references in Ephesians chapter two, we were under the influence of the powers of the air given over to our own lustful desires, serving the darkness of the day. We need to understand that there is no middle ground. There is no gray area. It is incredibly black and white. When we stand before Jesus on that great day, the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no blurry, fuzzy, gray middle ground through which we can manipulate the efforts or the expression of our lives. It'll be very black and white. And Paul says that at one point in our lives, we were given over to the desires of our flesh that were actually being directly influenced through the powers of the air. That the powers of the air, as we have spoken uh, in detail about over these last days, there is an influence that is coming from even what Jesus referenced himself in John 14 when he says the ruler of this world or the prince of the power of the air has come. There is an unseen Realm. There is a territory in an unseen place, in a heavenly reality where there is darkness, where there is authoritative influence. The scripture would define it as powers and principalities. There is an accuser or an adversary. There is an enemy. There is a devil that is against the will and the desires of God himself seeking to oppose what God is longing to establish. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, be reminded that through the blood of Jesus, he has set you free from the influence of being infected and infiltrated through the influence coming from the powers of the air. He says, please be reminded that through the wisdom of the cross and the power of the blood, the dividing wall of enmity or hostility, as that word would be defined, has been torn down. And now through one perfect man being broken and bloodied on a cross, all of the broken, fragmented pieces of the nations of every generation can find perfect 
beautiful unity and harmony in Jesus to reveal in our day the expression of one new man. And it is now unto the church who bears this unique, glorious responsibility to personify and prophesy to powers and principalities the victory that is in Jesus. I know this all sounds really great right now, but it's going to get on the ground and it's going to get really practical and we are going to have the grace to bear up underneath the call of God on our lives. Jesus in John 16 says, there are so many things that I long to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. I believe that over seasons, God has been bringing an increase to your capacity to be able to bear up under the desires that are on his heart that he is longing to reveal. For whether you understand it or not, God has always been looking for a people that he can share his heart with. To Abraham, it sounded like this. Should we share with Abram the things that we are getting ready to do? He's always been looking for a man, for a woman, for a people that he could share what's on his heart. And to think that God has created all things, but that he's looking for a specific thing, and that is someone to be in fellowship with. Yes, he's perfect and he's family and he's beautifully woven into himself. In fact, he's so united. He's so committed in fellowship and family that they're not the expression of three. They're so in one and in love that they are one but express themselves as three. They're one, but they express themselves in three. He's longing for fellowship. And Jesus says, I, I'm, uh, there's just so much that I would tell you, but you can't bear up under it right now. I believe that the Lord has specific things that he is longing for you as a people to bear up under because he has been developing in you a capacity, a unique capacity to be able to contain the things that he unveils out of his heart. The things that he unveils out of his heart. For God is burdened by certain things that are happening in our generation. He is deeply grieved by certain things that are happening in our day. When Jesus came, he said this in John 14, I have not come to do my own will. He said, I'm not interested in being moved by ambition. Yes, I have all power. Yes, I have all authority. Yes, I can do whatever it is that I want. But I'm not moved by ambition because I'm on my assignment. We must be able to differentiate the distinct difference between ambition and assignment. If we are ever going to fulfill God's divine purpose for your life and for mine, because everything that I become passionate about does not necessarily mean that it is what God wants to establish as my platform. And so I must be able to sift through by the spirit, the things that are swirling round about in my own heart, making sure that I am only being influenced by one voice. 
And it is by the voice of the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Father saying. There is a unique influence in my life, and it is not the voice of the culture. It is not the voice of my crowd. It is not the voice of my own longings or my own passions or my own ambition, but it's the voice of one that I know that is above all things. And it has been established so deeply in my heart that I'm able to sift through the variety of things that at any given moment could potentially derail me from the place that God is longing to establish me. And you see, it's really important that we understand our synchronization with the voice of God in our life. Because it is only the voice of God in our life that will allow us, empower us, and sustain us in the moment where our assignment, even if it be by divine purpose, is being tested. Because maybe you already understand it, but I am becoming incredibly familiar with it. That when you begin to move according to God's purpose for your life, at times, rather than it propelling you into comfort and safety and understanding and reason and the padding and all of the buffering, the insulation from all of the trials and warfare, at times, your obedience to God's purpose on your life will put you in direct confrontation with trouble. The purpose that God has on your life, your obedience as unto the Lord, rather than it keeping you from trial, at times will put you right in the middle of the fire. You may be obedient to Jesus, knowing the voice of the Father, moving in synchronization, in obedience to what God said. And it may cause you conflict. It may cause you trouble. It may create perpetrators and adversaries in your life. And if I don't understand that it is the voice of God that is moving me, I will end up in different moments trying to preserve my life while missing out on my purpose rather than being willing to lose my life in the middle of my purpose. Because I would rather lay down my life to fulfill God's purpose than preserve my life and end up dying to my purpose. You see, Jesus said the Father has given me the power to lay my life down. No man takes it from me. He said, I'm not being overtaken. I'm not being overwhelmed. Jesus was a man who was surrendered before he was murdered. It's important. He was not just murdered. He was surrendered. They thought they murdered him, but he had already surrendered to one that was above him. He said, there's an authority that's greater than the eye in my life. And it's what I see and what I hear that moves me. And I would rather lay down my life to fulfill my purpose than die to my purpose and keep my life. Because you can stay alive and do a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, Jesus said, you can do no thing without me. You can do a whole bunch of nothing. You can do a whole bunch of stuff that just doesn't matter. You can spin your ministry wheels. You can jump in the hamster wheel of culture and church systems and all of this other stuff. You can do a lot of church and not fulfill a divine purpose. 
But there's a purpose that God has for you. And you must know deeply embedded in your heart, in the pit of your spirit, in your soul, that you have heard from God. Because the conflict that gets created out of obedience will never be able to be sustained by fleshly initiative alone. You don't have enough muscle to make God's purpose happen in your life. You don't have enough relationships in order to leverage your social sphere against your purpose. You don't have enough money in the bank to buy your way through all of the trial that obedience to Jesus will directly put you into. So we have to know that we've heard from God when the cross is before us. We have to know that we have been synchronized with Jesus and his purpose for my life. So that if the hour or the day or the moment does come where my life is required from me, I don't spend more time trying to dodge. Because the end of that verse that we so often quote and get excited about and clap and amen, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony, loving not their own lives, even unto the point of death. Jesus said, I would rather die in the middle of God's purpose than preserve my own life and stay alive doing a bunch of stuff that may impress people. It may generate applause. It may get more likes. We may have more subscribers. There may be more that follow along because of the cultural sway and all of the performance fads, but I would rather die in the midst of where I know I'm supposed to be than stay alive and just create a life to where everyone else may be excited about it, but deep down on the inside, I know that I'm not doing the thing that God has called me to do. Jesus said, I didn't come with my own ambition, yet I do have an agenda, but it's to fulfill my assignment. There's an assignment on my life, and I'm willing to die for it. There's an assignment on my life because I understand that I've been divinely empowered for it. There's, a dis there's an assignment on my life, and there's a grace to be able to operate in it. Even as we heard of yesterday morning with Antipas, being willing to die to say what God was saying, even against the cultural swing of his day. Jesus said, I have an assignment and I'm going to give my life for it. Do you feel as if you have something within you that would rise in the moment that if God were to reveal to you an assignment for your life, would you be willing to die to all of the other variety of voices that are cheerleading you and excitingly pushing you and trying to compel you to do so many other things that would seem close enough to what God said. But I believe that there's going to be a people here this morning and that God is going to touch your heart. And you're going to say, man, by the blood of the lamb, I know that Jesus has saved me. And I know that he's delivered me. And I know that he's done something in me. And it wasn't just so that I could sit on the sideline in my generation and watch everybody else go for it for the kingdom of God. But that there's a plan. There's a purpose. There's a placement. There's an assignment that God wants me to get activated and to become alive to so that he can get me going. 
There have been men and women over our generation that have been willing to die for the assignment that has been on their life. You see, I have worn certain t-shirts over the last couple of days. But it has not been unintentional. The first night I wore a t-shirt with Abraham Lincoln. The next day I wore a t-shirt with Martin Luther King Jr. You see two men in different moments that were willing to stand against the cultural tide in their day to resist the influence of the powers of the air. You see, because th th this, is, this is where it gets on the ground. We have to understand that the powers of the air are trying to infect our minds and our hearts to establish demonic mindsets that will then begin to directly influence our behavior and our interaction with people and with life itself. If we do not understand that the tracing comes back to the mind and the influence of demonic authorities and principalities getting into us so that we behave according to their nature then we will begin to passively dismiss certain systems that have been demonically influenced and established to create hostility and division between people groups <laughs> think about our current time we are more divided in this moment than we have ever been historically, I believe, in any age or generation that we have seen thus far. It doesn't matter to me necessarily, uh, but, well, it, it does. That, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I will say it a different way. It very deeply matters to me the different categories that people have created. But the categories are not necessarily the root cause of the real issue. The root issue is that any demonic system or mindset that brings division between us and hostility among us must be seen for exactly what it is. But the way that we deal with demonic influence and systems is not just to extend our agreement that they potentially exist. Entertaining the idea that the system may exist is not the same thing as standing in the place of truth. Right now, it's men against women. It's old against young. It's civilians against police officers. It's black against white. It's white against other races. <laughs> you see, I referenced a dream where I was confronted by a grand wizard who I shared is a regional authority in the KKK. <laughs> you see, but the issue for me is not necessarily the confrontation uh, with the positional authority in a dark place. For me, it's the embodiment of the hostility and the desire to sow division
between people groups and races that literally God in Christ offering his own life has already bled out saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in moments when we don't recognize that the hostility that is being generated between us is not just something of an emotional zeal or fervor, but that it is actually being demonically influenced, we will never be able to have the correct perspective to be able to take the place of truth to stand against all of the darkness and the deception of our day. All lives do matter. But that does not mean that there are not specific demonic systems in place to create suffering on certain categories of people. I get it. it it's all right. But if we're not going to talk about the real stuff that's actually happening, then we can operate under a glass ceiling all day long. You can dance underneath the glass ceiling and the enemy will let you dance and shout and spit and roll and do all the stuff you want to do. But if you want to see lasting, significant breakthrough in a city, in a region, in a nation, we have to go after the demonic systems, mindsets, and the influence of the power of the air that is trying to reconstruct an idea of godliness. Let me just encourage you. You cannot be a racist and a Christian. Some of us right now are thinking, I'm not a racist, I've got a black friend. Even the thought process that you would reduce it down to the idea of it's impossible for me to be such because the categorization that there are differences simply by the expression on the color of our skin. It's impossible for me to be a racist. My dad is white. My mom is black and Spanish. I've got it all. I'm the expression of one new man. But the influence of the power of the air has infected specific people and we don't even recognize it because until the truth is revealed, we can't be accountable to God's desires. You cannot be a racist and a follower of Jesus. The issue is not simply black and white, though there is an issue there. The issue is not white and Asian or Asian and Latino. The issue is any separation and hostility between the categorization of people groups is demonically influenced. Because the wall, the dividing wall, right? We were all shouting in the beginning. Remember? We were all shouting when we started. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. All of the enmity has been paid for by the wonderful blood of the Lamb. There is a unity that Paul encourages us to fight, to preserve, that is only possible by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we must understand that it takes the Spirit and the Word of God's power to transform and renew our minds. Paul says, be transformed. By what? Not the wielding of your gift. Not by how well and accurate you prophesy. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because there's an influence that gets into the mind. That begins to disrupt and distort and derail. 
And if we are not careful, we deconstruct God's truth and we establish on the platform of our own emotional desires what we want to be true. Instead of what God has already said is true. These men were willing to give their life. Abraham Lincoln, my nine-year-old, when I got back to the hotel, said, Daddy, where did you get that shirt? I was like, oh, baby, you got a problem with my shirt? She's like, no, I love it. I said, who is this? She said, Abraham Lincoln. I said, what's he known for? She said, he wanted to end slavery. I said, what's slavery? She said, where one group of people think they're better than another group of people. You see, but what we don't understand is that though we may feel like the authoritative figure in the setup of slavery, though one people may be in shackles, it's actually us that's really in bondage. Though one people may feel like they are suppressed, it's our own hearts that have become captive. We've become captive to demonic influence. We're being controlled by the lustful desires of our flesh, which is what Paul directly says in Ephesians 2, we've been set free from through the blood of Jesus. Right? This was shouting material when I first started. Like, where did everybody go? But Abraham Lincoln in the Emancipation Proclamation was willing to die to see the vision that God gave him fulfilled. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. How many of you share that same dream? You don't have to lift your hand. It's not something I expect you to answer. We're going to make an altar call at the end. He said, I have a dream where equality would be the norm. Not just the entertaining of an embrace, but a unity that is otherworldly which can only be made possible by God's spirit based off of things that God has already done in order to establish a platform that would prophesy to our world that though it is broken, that though it is hostile, that though it is incomplete and it is longing for prominence and purpose, that there is something that can only be found in Jesus that is so otherworldly and counterintuitive and goes directly against at times all of what we would long to be true, that it is only in Jesus where we'll find hope and restoration and the promise that we can be a United States of America. These men were willing to die for their purpose. But it doesn't always happen that way. You see, the Bible gives us the description, or I should say the the life detail of a man by the name of Elijah. He gets introduced in 1 Kings chapter 17. And when Elijah comes on to God's story, he comes with no real history of where he's came from. He's never necessarily by account in the Bible been visible to men, though he's always been visible to God. And Elijah shows up and he's so moved, he's so gripped. In 1 Kings 17 verses 1 and 2, it says that he comes to stand before Ahab. And this is not a normal meeting, it's a confrontation of sorts. It's an intersection that has divine implications. It is kingdom against kingdom, if you would. It is divine order against natural order, if we would see it that way, or through this possible lens. 
And Elijah gets introduced into the narrative of the scripture and he comes with a word from God. Elijah says, there's a God before him who I stand. I understand I'm standing in the presence of a natural king. But there's a presence that I frequent that I know so well, which is in the presence of the king of kings. And there's a council that I've been invited into where there's seeing and hearing. But then there is equal listening and obeying according to Jeremiah 23, 18. For who has stood in the secret council of the Lord? To see and to hear, to become gripped, and then to listen and to obey. And Elijah comes into the story gripped with a word from the Lord and a purpose on his life and an assignment that he knows he must fulfill. And he stands before the natural king and he is opposing the natural order of the way that things should go. And he says these words, it shall not rain unless or until, depending on your translation, I speak again. Elijah shows up on a national platform before grand authority in a majestic place. And even at the cost of penalty, he prophesies. And then Elijah is driven into hiding. You see, because many of us desire the role of Elijah when it's go and show yourself. (laughs) But Elijah understands he must also be equally faithful to go and hide yourself. (laughs) You see, some of us need to go and hide ourselves because social media is getting you in trouble. Um, the, The outspilling of your emotional thoughts and how we believe that we're authoritative voices on every subject that seems to arise. Uh, You may have 1,000 likes, but if you don't have one like from heaven, then what's it all really worth? Anyways, it it doesn't really matter how many people you rally around you to get you to agree or to become excited about your point of view or your certain perspective or the slant that you believe just because, man, I got worked up in a moment and I have an outlet to do so. You see, that was the beauty back in the days when I was in high school when I left school I left school and I left you there too I didn't have to see what you were doing every minute I didn't know what you were eating I didn't have to see who you were with I left you man it was amazing I'm gonna start my lord but Elijah goes and he hides himself you see there's an initial confrontation But then there's a season of simmering. And Elijah resurfaces again. We know in 1 Kings 18, where he comes and Ahab says, there he is, the troubler. See, Elijah's assignment got him labeled as a troublemaker. You see, but I'd rather make trouble for the king than be embraced by the world. I would rather create trouble for the kingdom than just to die in complacency. You see, I would rather get labeled by a people that don't necessarily know how to handle what is on me because it is otherworldly in a sense. For Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's, it's going to hate you too because you belong to me and though you're in it, you're not of 
of it. And there's things that I'm going to do in you that are going to radically confront them. And if they reject you, even as he said to Moses, like they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So just man, like buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride, but you're going to have to learn how to deal with it. Because if you always want to be liked, it's very likely you're not necessarily going to fulfill a divine purpose. And Elijah resurfaces and he comes back in front of Ahab. And now we know that in chapter 18, he's on Mount Carmel and there's glory and there's fire and there's all types of confrontation. And Elijah ends up slaughtering that day, 850 false prophets. And then he's off to the mount to put his face between his knees to pray in another promise from God. The Bible opens in 1 Kings 19 with very interesting words. It says that on the backside of several victories for Elijah, Ahab is in counsel with Jezebel, his wife. The Bible is very specific in the details that it gives. It says that they are having a meeting, that they are in a moment of counsel. And that Ahab begins to share with Jezebel all of what it is that God is doing through the life of the man, Elijah. I want you to know that when you begin to move in God's voice, you begin to move authorities and principalities in dark places. And they begin to take up meetings about you because of the way that God is with you and moving you. You see, but I say it specifically that way because Elijah is not just revelatory. He's obedient. (laughs) Revelation does not always necessarily get you in trouble. But obedience will put you on a cross. You see, some of us build resumes by how revelatory we are. But obedience is the thing that gets you in trouble. Obedience is the thing that moves principalities and authorities. Obedience is what creates a meeting of the minds in dark, unseen places. You see, some of us are just wowed by how revelatory we are. You can be revelatory and not be obedient. You can be revelatory, claim to have a lot of revelation, and not necessarily be fulfilling any sort of divine purpose. You can have all insights into mysteries and wonders and all types of encounters. But it does not necessarily mean that the things that have been revealed to you are the things that are directly moving you. And that you have become synchronized with a purpose that does not belong to you. You see, I understand. I do not have a ministry. Jesus has a ministry. And he has entrusted me to become an ambassador because of the way he expresses himself through my life that is laid down to him and Elijah is moved and it is now moving dark powers and principalities and Ahab comes to Jezebel and he says man this dude is a problem man like like he's a problem man like what in the world like we have got to do something about this like man this dude is destroying everything that we are trying to build Like, if we are not careful, he's going to ruin everything that we are trying to set up. We've got to come up with a solution for him. You see, the enemy's been talking about some of you. There's been a meeting of the minds between powers and principalities. 
You see, the influence of the power of the air recognizes the way that you're committed to God's voice. And there's already a setup in an unseen place to try to sever your tie or derail you from the purpose that God has designed you for. And Ahab and Jezebel are in council and they come up with a plan. Jezebel gathers messengers and she sends a message to Elijah. Now see this for what it is. The enemy gathers messengers and his desires get shared with the ones that are supposed to carry it into your attention. And the messenger comes to Elijah. And the Bible says that when Elijah hears what it is that is in the enemy's heart against him, that he is so gripped with fear. You can read it for yourself. This is not the Mike's Living translation. It's all right there. It says that he is so gripped with fear that he stands and he takes off running. And he takes off running to Beersheba where he leaves his attendant or his servant and takes off by himself into the wilderness. And that he actually sits under a tree and begins to cry out to God that God would just kill him because of the conflict that his obedience has put him into. And even in his explanation of why he feels that it is so worthy of a moment for him to die, he says, gather me unto you, O Lord, for I am no better than my father meaning the generation behind me that according to his own false perspective never fulfilled the purpose that God put on them. He says, take my life. And it says that an angel in the midst of his complaining, right? He falls asleep. He falls asleep complaining. How many of us are familiar with this posture? He actually is complaining and falls asleep while complaining. And an angel comes and touches him. And touches him again for he must eat because there's a run in front of him. And he runs to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai, if you would. But God comes to him. And God comes with a very specific question. He says, what are you doing here, man? Like, like, how, how, did, how did we end up here? Like, like, like what are you doing here? Like, it's so puzzling how we could have done so much together. It's so confusing how we could have seen so many great victories. It's so alarming how there could be so much testimony riding on your life. How is this the conclusion? He says, what, what, what are you doing here? And Elijah begins, oh man, I'm the only one and you don't understand. And man, it's over. And man, I, you know, and da 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 that's, that's what it sounds like. It must be Charlie Brown's teacher's voice. But God says again, what are you doing here? Almost as if to imply, you see, that this is the way that I believe it has been revealed. Elijah, there was a time in your life where only my voice moved you. <laughs> Elijah, there was a day in your life where you said you knew the one before whom you stood. 
In fact, in your confrontation, your intersection with a natural king, you were very quick to let it release from your lips that you knew my presence and you knew my voice. You had been invited into my council and you were secure in the place that I had called you to stand. What has happened to you? Because when the messenger came, he responded to the word of the enemy's desire. He was gripped with fear when he found out what the devil was saying. And he was now standing in the place of being influenced by the enemy's voice. And God says, there was a day when I was the only voice in your life that moved you. There was a day where I was the only voice in your life that impressed you. There was a day when you were so preoccupied with me that all of the other natural circumstantial evidence, not that it didn't exist, but that it just didn't govern all of your activities and it didn't influence the way that you pray. Because when Elijah became more concerned with the voice of the enemy, he started praying differently. (laughs) When he became more consumed with the enemy's thoughts, he started praying differently when he became consumed with the enemy's voice he started running from his purpose rather than desiring to fulfill his purpose when he became more aware of the enemy's intentions and the frequenting of messengers he was now standing and rather than advancing he was retreating and there was all types of excuses as to why he could not do the thing that he had already been doing because Elijah must not have understood and I say that very lightly and humbly obviously but he must not have understood that the greater your purpose the greater your conflict And Elijah's obedience put him in direct confrontation with trouble. You see, sometimes you obey the Lord and you lose the business. You see, sometimes you obey Jesus and the ministry crumbles. You see, John the Baptist, when standing by the Jordan and Jesus up the block, they brought messengers to him that said, hey man, your ministry's shrinking. Your crowd is dwindling. People are leaving and they're going to follow this Jesus guy. Like, hey bro, listen, like we're with you, but man, you gotta make something happen. Like we need you to do something about this. Like it's not a good look for you. Like we've really gotta revive the ministry and come up with a new way to create a rebranding idea for you. because." what we've been going with up until now it's just not working anymore you see sometimes you obey the Lord and you decrease but if I don't know his voice you see I'll start binding devils in moments when I should be loosing angels you see because sometimes the thing that I may feel is out to kill me is the very thing that has been designed for me because it's the exact thing that God wants to use for him to be revealed in my life. And I will begin running from the thing that God is trying to push my life into without understanding that there's an assignment on me that is creating trouble around me and that there's a grace that is on me that is empowering me to fulfill the destiny that God has given me. And even at the cost of losing my life, I would rather lose my life than lose my purpose. And Elijah is standing in a mountain and he's full of excuses and he's full of complaints. And God just has one question. Am I not enough? How did you end up here? You see, because Elijah, when it was you and me, we were always a victory. (laughs) 
Elijah, when it was you and me, it didn't matter the conflict. It didn't matter the adversary. It didn't matter the accusation. It didn't matter the negativity of the crowd. It didn't matter the placement, whether hidden, whether obscure, whether out in public. It didn't matter because you were with me and I was with you and we were synchronized and we were fulfilling the assignment that I had upon your life. But if this is where you want to be, you see, he asked him twice. He asks him twice, and then he replaces him. <laughs> Hear me. God was unwilling to have a man that was more impressed with the enemy's voice than his voice. Elijah would have never been able to continue to fulfill all of what God has for his life if he was going to entertain in a greater way what the enemy was saying than what it is he knew God was saying. And God says to Elijah, if this is where you want to be, right? Sometimes we reach the threshold of our own ability to be able to handle or sustain the conflict that has come up against me. That's why it must be by a divine empowerment because my flesh is going to fail me somewhere along the way if my dependency is on myself and not on the God that has called me, the God that has saved me, the blood that has covered me, his spirit that has filled me. Somewhere along the way, my own fleshly tendencies are going to get the best of me and convince me that this is as far as I'm willing to go. God, I, God, I just can't, I can't, I can't go forward anymore. Man, the pain is too great. Man, the cost is too high. I, 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 can't, I can't keep moving forward. And you don't understand, like the way that the conflict is, it's affecting me and, it, and, and it's getting to me and it's, it's troubling my mind and my emotions. They've just not been the same. And you don't understand, there's demonic warfare and you don't understand the enemy is now directly confronting me. I've gotten the attention of people that I never wanted to get the attention of. And I didn't understand that all of this was gonna come with that. If you would have informed me in the beginning that it was a package deal, maybe I'd have told you to find somebody else in the beginning. God, I've, I've reached my threshold. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And God says, go find Elisha. Because my purpose is going to be fulfilled. You see, there was a moment of intervention. You see, Mordecai comes to Esther in Esther chapter 4, and he says, Esther, please, I, I'm, I'm pleading with you, and I feel by the Spirit that God is pleading with some of you. I'm pleading with you. Please do not allow your position to derail your purpose. Don't think that it's because you're so beautiful. Please don't think that it's because you're so cute. Don't get it twisted. It wasn't because you were the only one that was able to somehow maneuver your way through the, the realm of persecution. Esther, this doesn't have anything to do with you. And if you will not wake up and recognize that God has installed you into a specific place and put you on a specific platform so that you can reveal a specific purpose, then he will Right here, these words, 
He will raise up deliverance from another source. We are irreplaceable to God, but we are replaceable in his purpose. And I know that we might not necessarily like the way that that sounds, but the accountability is that many are called. Many are called. And I don't necessarily favor the original translations. I like the way the message, or not the message, I'm talking about. the passion translation says it. It says many are called, but few actually offer an excellent yes. You see, because we feel that all of the accountability is on God and that he just preferentially looks on some and overlooks others. And we use this scripture in times even as an indictment against the Lord as to why there's no real specific assignment that is on my life or no real favor or grace for empowerment to fulfill real purpose in my day. But this is not the reality that's actually what's happening. Many are called. But few are actually willing to stand into the hostility and the conflict to give God an excellent yes to fulfill what has been revealed. And Elijah says, I can't go any farther. And God says, you cannot go any farther, but my purpose will continue on. You may not be willing to take one more step, but my kingdom is still advancing. You may not be willing to put one more ounce of effort into it, but I've put everything I've got into seeing it fulfilled. And the word of the Lord will prevail, and the purpose of God will be fulfilled. And the reality of God's destiny for you, your life individually, this church, this city, and this nation is going to happen. We get to make the decision on whether or not we are going to keep moving with what God has put on our life. Will you stand in the day of conflict? Will you bear up under the weight of adversity? Will you rise and shine like bright stars in a dark generation? to see what God is saying actually come into full manifestation or visibility because God is looking for men and women like the greats that have gone behind us that are willing to die if they must to see their purpose fulfilled rather than dying to their purpose and simply existing for other things. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.